AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Mike Maynard, who has chosen acquisition as his growth strategy. And you will not want to miss his stories on acquisition, which are mind-blowing. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Mike. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be joined today by Mike Maynard. Mike is a self-confessed geek, aren't we all, who loves talking about technology. And in 2021, I'm sorry, 20, 2001, goodness gracious, in 2001, forever ago, he acquired Napier and has directed major PR and marketing programs for a wide range of technology clients. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show and trying to make me a little younger than I am. I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's so hard to like think about 2021 <laughs> or 2001. I can't even say it because it's like I'm still in that what year is it kind of mode or what day is it <laughs> mode. Aren't we all? Anyhow, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to you to talk about acquisition as a growth strategy. But first questions first, as always, what made you kind of acquire your first company and, and go down this path? Well, like all good stories, it basically started with a night with a lot of bottles of wine. So I was working for a semiconductor company. They sent me on a management training course. And uh, at the end of the course, it was a, a weekly, you know, week-long residential course. At the end of the course, we all went out for a few drinks. And a couple of people said, you should definitely start your own business. Now, I think what they were trying to do, rather than actually tell me I'd be good at starting my own business, was to say they really never wanted to be my boss. But, you know, I, I took it at face value. And then, you know, kind of coincidentally, about two, three months later, I actually got approached by the agency I was using because the two principals, the founders of the agency, were looking to retire. And I thought, how hard can it be? <laughs> ah, that's kind of a great lead in there. And how hard was it, Mike? I'm, well, Given that I bought a technology agency three weeks before the dot-com crash, really, really hard is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> really hard, but you made it through because this has kind of been your, your strategy. And that's kind of the topic today, which is growth through acquisition. So what led you to begin acquiring other marketing agencies? Like what led you? Obviously, there was the first, the first one, and I'm sure there's a story there. But then after that, what made you decide to keep going in that direction? Well, that's a great question, Brooke, because I think actually what happened was when I 
bought Napier first off, we hit this incredibly tough time where we basically felt everything was going wrong. You know, there's a dot-com crash. All our clients were cutting budgets. And we actually, you know, realized the only way to get through was to, to basically hang on to cash, get the agency through the crisis. Unfortunately, I think, you know, as things improved and, and the economy got better, and particularly the economy for tech companies got better, we still remained quite conservative. So we weren't really investing in growing the company. We weren't spending money on marketing or sales for the company. And it got to the point where we realized, you know, we were growing and we, and we were doing okay, but we weren't really growing very quickly. And so what we decided to do was we decided to look at how we could grow by acquiring agencies who brought in new skills. And in particular, new skills that relate to markets that are adjacent to the ones that we were working in. Ah, okay. So this is so interesting. So share your strategy for identifying and then acquiring those other agencies. What factors did you consider, you know, evaluating what skills you were missing and what skills those agencies had? So the first acquisition, we were in a situation where we were predominantly working in what I call the electronic components, embedded electronics design space. So basically work with engineers designing electronic systems. And so our suppliers were people like semiconductor companies, power system manufacturers, companies like that. Um, and what we did was we looked at it and we saw that we'd actually done a little bit of work in industrial automation. And at the same time, we knew and, and we'd actually been talking to the owner of a, a great agency. The agency was Peter Bush Communications. The, the guy was clearly Peter Bush. And we'd been talking to him about three years off and on saying, you know, it'd be really good if we got together. It'd be really, you know, interesting. Anyway, Peter got to, I don't know, 72 or something and decided that he might you know, calm down a little bit. He was still working, you know, full time in the business. And so he um, agreed to sell us the agency. And, and we basically put his hand off because they did a bit of electronics, which was really understood. And they did a bit of industrial automation, which was, you know, this move into the next sector. Also, Peter himself was very well known and actually continued working with us for several years afterwards. He was a great writer, used to be a journalist. And so it was a really, really good acquisition from that point of view. It was very small. And that was probably the downside of it, is it probably wasn't big enough to give us that kind of critical mass in the industrial automation industry that we wanted. And also, again, we were probably still a little bit conservative in how we made use of that expertise. So we probably didn't invest enough of our time. So it was a bit of, of, of both. It worked well. We had, you know, we, we brought on people. In fact, Dawn, you know, th this was about 10 years ago now. And Dawn, who came with the acquisition, is still with us, still doing amazing things for us. So in terms of like talent acquisition, it was very successful. We've still got some of the clients from the acquisition as well. And overall, it worked really well. But most of all, I think it taught us how to, you know, how to do an acquisition and some of the issues around it without having to do that with a really big, complex acquisition where things can go horribly wrong. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those challenges because I've never been through a merger or acquisition myself, but I've had the pleasure of having, you know, people close to me do it. And it, you know, one of the biggest challenges I hear about is the integration of the people, right? Taking that culture from somewhere else and those people and then, you know, melding it with your own seems very hard. So how do you What's your strategy around that? And how do you overcome kind of a culture clash, let's call it? It's a little bit frustrating to me because I actually started my career as an engineer and I wish things were, were all straightforward and logical, but actually everything comes to people and particularly in the agency world, everything you know turns out to be down to people. So it's very important. We did actually look for an agency that fitted our culture 
you know, as closely as we could find. So obviously they were working with similar clients. They were used to doing similar sort of activities to us. So their day-to-day was very similar. But also if we look at what Peter's values were, they were pretty close to our values as well. So, you know, Peter was very focused on delivering great quality. He was focused on working with, you know, some of the strong brands in the industry rather than working with perhaps some of the smaller ones that that perhaps didn't have as much credibility. So, you know, he, he was very keen to step up and work with these challenging leading brands. And, and he was very confident in what he did in terms of delivering the quality that those sort of brands wanted. And that turned out to be great. And, and actually, Peter was unbelievably helpful. I mean, one of the things when you do an acquisition, particularly if you do an acquisition of a company that's named after the founders, you have to have this horrible call at some point where you say, you know, we've been going a year and I think Peter Bush actually, we ran two years as a, a separate company. We think it's now time to call it Napier and your name's going to go. And that can be really awkward. And we've had acquisitions where that's been incredibly difficult to do. And, and, you know, the founders kind of been really upset and you're kind of like, well, you sell me the business, you've got the money. But Peter's response was amazing. Peter just said, why haven't you done it earlier? I thought you should have done it about six months ago. And it was just like the loveliest, easiest thing. So in some ways it was great because we, we really learned from acquiring Peter Bush. In other ways, it might have lulled us into a bit of a false sense of security because it, it actually went so well. I mean, don't get me wrong, there, there, there were issues, there were clients that went, there were things like that. But overall, it was a fantastic acquisition. It was a great learning experience. And and Peter was, you know, I, I mean, if he, if he was young enough to still be running an agency, absolutely would want to acquire whatever he's running, because I know it'd be great. That's fantastic. So it sounds like part of the strategy is really to, you know, in the whole process of even thinking about acquiring another agency is is looking for agencies who have like similar, similar values to yours, because it makes that integration a little bit easier, although not perfect and not smooth, (laughs) but it makes it a little bit easier. Another problem that I'm assuming that you face, and I've heard of also with people who are close to me who've been acquired or have acquired companies, often involves the, the negotiations and the financial considerations. So how do you go about determining the fair value of an agency and then negotiate the terms of the acquisition? Are you using an outside firm or what does that look like? Actually, something I don't know if you even know, Brooke, is that I've actually effectively sold Napier. So a year ago, I sold Napier to the employees. So the employees now own the majority of shares in Napier. And it's really interesting because that transaction, partly because of legislation and partly because of, of, you've got to do it fairly, 100% outsourced to accountants. And so the accountant came up with a number and that was a number and that was it. There was no discussion with all the acquisitions we've made where someone's been selling to us. Ultimately, the value of the company is what the owner wants for the company. Interesting. And you can haggle, you can argue a bit, you can, you know, and in particular with acquisitions, a lot of the discussion is is actually less about the amount because you very quickly realize if the if the owner of the business has got a realistic valuation in mind or a very unrealistic one, if it's realistic, then basically you have this situation where as an owner of a business who's selling, you want the money up front. Mm-hmm. Because you get the money up front, if things go wrong, there's no risk to you. And of course, the challenge as you're selling it is that you then actually lose control. So, you know, typically these uh, acquisitions are funded over maybe two to four years. And so you know, if I'm selling the business to you, Brooke, I'm thinking, I, I don't know, Brooke might be brilliant. 
but she might be terrible. I, I want all my money up front just in case she makes mistakes and screws everything up and loses all my clients because those subsequent payments over the two to four year period, they'll be based upon performance. Whereas if I'm buying your agency, you know, I want everything at the end because basically I want to fund as much as I can of the acquisition out of profits. And I want the value of the, the acquisition to be driven by the profit that the agency makes. So in my view, it's it's that when you pay is actually the bigger discussion rather than how much. Okay. So I'm obviously, again, I'm not an acquisition specialist. This is all new to me, but this is very interesting what you're saying. So I kind of want to dig in there. So I assumed, yeah, it was some sort of like payment up front or like a two to three year something because a lot of times with acquisitions, you see the founder or founders of the previous agency stay on in some capacity or role. So explain that to me a little, let's go a little bit deeper there and explain that to me, how the payments work again, and then which one you lean towards, you were saying you want to pay at the end, but based on performance. So like, just break that down for me. Yeah. So I, I mean, to explain in a bit more detail, most acquisitions, particularly in the, in the agency space, they have an upfront payment. And then they have a series of stage payments that's over a period of time. And that period of time can vary, but you know, typically you're paying once or twice a year. And typically it's over maybe two to four years. But but there are, you know, people do it quarterly, people take different approaches. The upfront payments are fixed amount. So the seller gets that, that that's what they're guaranteed to have. The subsequent payments are generally based on turnover for the client portfolio that's being sold. Usually not profit because that's very easy to manipulate both ways. So it's usually based on turnover. And so what you'll do is you'll say, you know, yeah, I feel this this agency is worth X amount of money. It's turning over, you know, whatever it is, a million dollars a year with this list of clients. So we'll split that. And and let's for argument's sake, you say you split it three ways, one up front, and then one each after the first and second year. So we'll split that million dollars three ways, but those subsequent payments will be based on turnover. So if you don't hit a million dollars in the first year, you get a lower payment. If you hit more, typically there's an upside for the vendor as well. And if you structure this deal right, the person that's selling the agency is incredibly motivated to make that agency as successful as possible after acquisition because they get paid more money. But also the company buying it is making more profit than they're actually having to pay out in terms of extra fees. And so they're incredibly motivated to make it, you know, grow and be successful. So so both sides are working together. And obviously, typically you have the previous owner working in the agency for a period of time. I, I mean, my view has changed a bit, and I'm kind of a believer that you shouldn't have that previous owner for a long time. You should, you know, be looking at, you know, at least starting to ramp down their work over the first year. And then maybe, you know, my view as as, as a maximum is really two years, because I think otherwise you're almost left with two acquisitions. You're left with, you know, you've bought the agency, you've got to explain you bought it and it's now you. And then you've got to explain that actually the guy that everyone still associates with that agency, because, you know, that that person, he or she probably founded it. And, you know, they're, they're the person who's always been the boss. They're now leaving. So you've kind of got that two events you've got to deal with. So actually having a, a relatively rapid transition as a purchaser is quite a good thing. Interesting. Oh, you're teaching me so much already. So I have, I actually have a follow-up question to the follow-up question, which is how do multipliers come into play? Because as an agency owner, I always hear like, oh, well, so-and-so sold their agency for 5X. And typically in, you know, marketing industry, the multiplier could be anywhere between like five and 8% or, or, or five, I'm sorry, five to 8X. 
Is that true? Does that come into play? Like, what are your what's your opinion on multipliers? Yes, it matters. The first thing to say is that multipliers are based on profit, whereas typically when you you actually work out how much you're going to pay, it's based on turnover. And obviously, one of the issues is is people can have a very subjective view of profit. So, quite often, what happens is someone's selling the agency, and what they do is they say, "Well, I'm going to be a consultant now. I'm not working the business, so I take all my salary out, and that will become profit." And you go, "No, no, no, actually, I'm still going to have to pay you because you're a you know a consultant, or I'm going to have to pay someone to replace you." So, so multipliers are based on profit, and I think they are quite important because typically agency owners want a multiplier. They've heard a multiplier. Interestingly, multipliers in America are actually bigger than multipliers in Europe. So for, for those of you guys listening in the States, you're thinking of expanding into Europe, you're going to pay less for the agency. The challenge is, though, is that the generally speaking, the net profit margin of an agency in Europe is smaller than in, in the States. Like agencies in the States make more money. So if you can boost up that turnover, you can actually get a bigger upside in the States than you can in Europe because you get a bigger multiplier because the profit margin is bigger. But people have a number, you know, and typically th there's a couple of things that drive that number. So one is where you are. America is slightly higher than Europe. But there's also things like how big the agency is. And so, you know, certainly in the UK, we see a lot of people merging agencies together to get the agency turnover big enough to be able to get a higher multiplier. So, you know, traditionally um, in the UK, there's a view that once you hit a million pounds a year profit, then your multiplier goes up. Okay. So, so that's the theory behind that. And lastly, it depends a lot on the clients and how you work with the clients and the confidence that those clients are going to stay. Because realistically, when you buy an agency, I mean, you are buying expertise, you're buying people, but ultimately in terms of, of money, what you're buying is a client portfolio. Mm -hmm. If every client walks out on day one, you've got no money, you've got no profit. And generally speaking, there's very little you can do about to, to stop that happening. So, you know, you've got to be pretty sure you feel those clients are going to stay. And the more sure you are, generally speaking, the higher the multiplier. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, so moving on, I will save all of my other questions for later. <laughs> what specific advantages would you say that you have or what synergies do you seek out when acquiring other agencies? And how do those attributes contribute to the overall success of your agency? So for, from our point of view, it's very simple. We've looked for complementary skills. So skills that have significant overlap with us, but generally bring something new, something better. For us, a lot of it was around content generation for our first couple of acquisitions. We're looking for agencies that have some overlap with us, but also are active in markets where we're not strong or we want to grow. And the little bit of overlap means that that helps that cultural fit. And obviously, the new market means it gives you that scope to actually generate more profit than you're um, having to pay in terms of payments. And lastly, you know, it really is about the people. And I think one of the things I've learned is it really is about the agency owner and how well you can relate to them and whether you're going to have a great working relationship. And that's really tough because obviously, when you're talking to someone selling an agency, they're trying to put their best face on. Once they've sold it, they've got the money in the bank. You know, typically what they're doing is they're seeing decisions you make that they might not agree with. And they're thinking, oh, if this doesn't work, that's my, you know, subsequent deferred payment that's going to be reduced because the client's not going to spend as much money. So it's a really difficult thing to pick an agency. We we get quite a few 
agencies, you know, being sent to us that that are for sale, I would say that we progress on maybe five percent of them. Wow! So we see details, and maybe five percent will actually have a conversation. And actually, we've ended up buying about one agency every three or four years. Wow! That that still seems like a lot. That's impressive. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. So, okay. So working off of the people and the culture, you know, it's obviously a very delicate task. So what happens? So, so after, you know, you get that report and they're like, Hey, you should buy this agency. And you're like, Hmm, okay, maybe I'm interested. Do you like interview some of the employees or team members at that other agency? Like, what does that look like to understand what the culture and the people are or look like or how they behave? It's really hard because obviously the person selling the agency, if they've like set something up, they don't necessarily want someone coming in and interviewing people before the deal's done, before it's signed up. But we always want to meet the team before we actually sign anything. So that has been a problem with with some opportunities. And other opportunities, we've met people and then things have fallen through. And that's been really bad because actually we really like that agency. And they've maybe gone somewhere else or got, you know, found someone else to acquire them or someone's offered more money. It, it's really difficult. I mean, I think, you know, for the agency that's acquiring, a lot of it is about the people. A lot of it is about the clients. And actually, less of it's about the money, if I'm to be honest. Typically speaking, when someone's selling an agency, they think a lot about the money um, initially because, you know, quite often, you know, they've spent, 10, 20 years of their life building this agency up. You know, they've put all their effort into it and this is their potentially their one big payday in their career. So, you know, it absolutely makes sense for them to care about money. But I think as an acquirer, the actual price is much less important. It's the potential of what you're buying because you don't need to do very much to grow the agency you've bought to make the price that was, you know, originally in your mind actually seem really cheap because, you know, you grow the agency maybe 10%. That can easily put 20, 30% on the profit. Wow. Right. So you're in technology. You really under, you're, you're a self proclaimed technology geek. <laughs> so, I can imagine that staying ahead of trends in technology is crucial to, you know, acquiring an agency. And especially now with all this talk about artificial intelligence and what it's going to do for us or to us, depending on which side of the fence you sit. How do you leverage the expertise and strengths of the agencies that you decide to acquire to enhance your overall service offerings? So that's really interesting because we've never bought an agency for technology. And I think typically where you see agencies bought because they have a particular technical expertise maybe you know today it's in ai perhaps previously it was in digital marketing it tended to be larger agencies acquiring smaller agencies and and we're only a small agency we're just 40 people so we're not we're not in any way in that sort of situation so in terms of acquiring technology it's never been a focus what we've tried to do is acquire people and those people have skills and so from my point of view what you're looking at is honestly it's as simple as you know if i bought this agency 
and I walk into an office with these these people sitting there, you know, do I smile and think this is a great deal? They're going to help me. They're going to make my day better. And these guys, you know, know how to, you know, really make a successful agency that ultimately is going to pay the cost of acquiring them. Or am I going to look at them and go, I don't really want to work with you guys. And that's more important than necessarily saying this person is the greatest writer in the world or, you know, anything else. And to be honest, it's quite hard to assess ability when you're you're doing an acquisition because you you obviously have very limited time with the people and everybody wants to show their best side. Sure, sure. It's the honeymoon phase, right? We're always on our best behavior or we should be during the honeymoon phase. So when you're acquiring other agencies, obviously sometimes there has to be a loss of talent, right? And this can happen just because like they're unhappy, they just aren't on board with the acquisition, right? There's a lot of different reasons why people might be resistant to change. How do you look at and handle talent acquisition after the acquisition process have taken place? That's fascinating. I mean, I think it's a really hard problem and we haven't necessarily solved it. I mean, the first thing is people are going to leave. People are going to leave your agency as well. Sure. So, you know, we've just over a year ago made an acquisition and and we've actually lost a couple of people from, from that acquisition. And they were really good people, actually. And it's kind of frustrating that we lost them. But one of them, you know, is really interesting. Uh, you know, she was amazing. She, she was really good at her job. We saw a massive potential for her in the, the business. You know, she certainly had the, you know, the, the knowledge, the expertise and the, the ability to learn that would have taken her a long way. And she came to us and she said, there's a job come up at the local hospice to run their marketing. It's what I've always dreamed of. It's my dream job. And, and, you know, what can you do other than say, you know, A, what a fantastic thing to do as a career, you know, really appreciate that. But also, you know, if it's your dream job, I mean, we can't, we can't be your dream job if we're not your dream job, you know? And, and um, so she left, you know, she would have probably left if she was an employee. She'd probably left if, if we hadn't made the acquisition. It was, it was unfortunate. You've got to accept that happens. I mean, other people do leave because they're not happy with the acquisition. They don't like the new management. They preferred the way things were done the old way. That all comes down to making sure that the two businesses are as close as possible in terms of their values and their approach. And to be honest, if a lot of people leave, that's not down to the to the person selling the agency. That's really down to you. You've not really understood the culture of the agency you're buying. Fantastic advice there, too. So a follow up question there. What about, you know, everything now is all about in-office, hybrid, remote. Does that affect anything when you're looking at acquiring a company or or, or a team or the people? Because really, it sounds like you're really looking to acquire the people, right? So if they're in-office, hybrid or remote, does that matter at all? I have no idea, actually. I've not I've not worked out the in-office hybrid remote for, for the people in our team yet. So it's a really tricky question. I think I think the only thing I can do there is to say it comes back to culture. And so as an agency, our culture is people spend some time in the office. We're a hybrid agency. We're not, you know, remote first. We're not 100% in the office. We're definitely hybrid. But if we were to acquire an agency that was 100% remote, that's unlikely to be a good culture fit. Mm-hmm. Probably if we were to acquire an agency that was, you know, five days a week in the office, that probably wouldn't be a good culture fit either. It's just, I think you've got to look at that culture fit and and make sure what you're doing in every area you know, works and is unlikely to generate friction and problems. If you try and have rules for different things, that's not really the point. It's n- it's not about creating rules. It's about getting fit. Love that. 
So let's talk about the ugly side of acquisitions. Surely in your many years of doing this since 2001, not 2021, there were there were times when, you know, a company you were looking into acquiring or maybe even acquired just didn't meet expectation or there was an unexpected challenge. What did you learn from those? And what can you tell everybody who's listening or watching who may be thinking of acquiring a company or becoming acquired themselves? So... I, I mean, when I first acquired Napier, there were two founders, a husband and wife. The wife was an absolute, you know, I, I mean, basically famous in, in, in the industry. You know, her name was Veronica Batchelor. You talked about Veronica, everybody knew her, you know, whether it's clients, journalists, whatever, particularly journalists. And unfortunately, you know, pretty soon after the acquisition, Veronica de- developed cancer and two years later, she was gone. And that was really tough. And that was really tough for a number of reasons. I mean, she was a friend. But, you know, at the same time, she was, if you want to be brutal, a business asset. And you lose a friend and a business asset at the same time. And you're thinking, how's this going to go? And I think one of the things I learned from that is that the friendship was much more important. Having a go was was really hard and, and really affected me. But I almost felt like I had to have this, this kind of business face on mm-hmm. and perhaps didn't do so well. And, you know, I... I don't know if anyone from Napier listens is going to listen to this podcast, but if they do, you know, I still go to the crematorium where she's um, where she is, and you know, go to the plaque every so often and, and just say hello. And people will be like, "There's no way I knew Mike did this," but but you know, still miss her. And I think I I, I behaved too much like it was business, unless like it was friendship. There, the reality is the business side was less important. What she'd done was she'd created an agency. And it wasn't her, it was the agency. And so a lot of what she did just continued. You know, people still, you know, did what they used to do. It didn't all fall apart. It was painful, but but actually it was that personal thing. So I think, you know, you've really got to get the personal things right. We've had other acquisitions that we've lost and, and been upset about, but you can't be that upset. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if somebody comes in, I mean, one particular acquisition we were quite, you know, quite keen on, really enthusiastic about, and actually, an agency from America came in and offered a much bigger multiple. And I, I mentioned about multiples being different. And we just looked at it and went, we can't justify this. Um, and I think you've just got to be honest. You know, it, it's not right for you. And then we've had some acquisitions where things haven't gone so well and the relationship hasn't been great with the founder of the previous agency. And that's been really hard. And I think, you know, one of the things I've I've really learned is that the person selling that agency to you, which, which almost always is a founder, they almost always created the agency. There's two things. One is you've got to be able to work with them and have a good relationship. And secondly, they've got to believe that the acquisition really is what they want. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes, you know, they've been told they need to sell. They've been told, you know, for example, you're 60 now, it's time to sell. You know, I think they, they do it because they feel it's the right thing. And it probably isn't the right thing to do. You know, as I mentioned, Peter Bush, you know, amazing guy. I mean, we we tried to persuade him to sell for like three years. It, it was the hardest thing to get him to sell. And he was in his 70s when he sold. And, and he kept working for us, you know, incredibly energetic and, you know, really great. So I think agency owners who feel they have to sell because they hit a certain age milestone or whatever it is, that that's the wrong thing to do. They need to sell because they want to sell. I think that's paramount to understand paramount because my my grandmother, she worked until she was 84, right? And no one was going to tell her otherwise. She knew when it was time 
almost <laughs> to leave, right? I think she and her boss actually finally just had a heart to heart and they were both like, look, I'm tired. Hey, look, you got to go. <laughs> but I would love to meet Peter because he sounds just like her. And, you know, I think you're right. It's it's something you have to really want to do. You can't be hemming and hawing or test the waters even almost because it just won't work if it's not right, if it's not really what you want to do. Yeah, I, I mean, we've got a, you know, we've, we've made just over a year ago another acquisition, actually another Peter, maybe just buying from Peter's is, is the solution, <laughs> I don't know. And he's interesting, he's younger, he's built this agency up, but he wants to go do other things and he's really definite about, I want to go do other things. And it's fantastic. He's, he's absolutely ready to let go. And, and it's again been like a dream acquisition it's you know he's been so helpful so great you know it's been a really really good process so i think i think you know the the owner wanting really wanting it is important and not just wanting the money but really wanting it and it's hard because you know me as a business owner i get that you build this business up and you think you know the classic thing with any marketing agency is you know three or four calls from going bust you know it's it's always the, the the standard issue and you think three calls tomorrow, you know, and, and this is my retirement gone. And so, so the temptation to, to take money out of the business is, is high, but I think you've got to do it for the right reasons. And that's why I sell the business to the employees is because I really want to build a business where the employees drive what we've got. And I didn't want to do a process where I sold to someone else and then had to work for two or three years for someone who was doing things that maybe I didn't agree with. Now, it's not to say they'd be wrong. They're probably right. And I'm probably wrong. But, you know, when you're in that situation, you just want to do what you want to do. That's also interesting. So now that the employees actually own the company, and I'm assuming you're still a part of it in some way, what's the long term vision? Are they and you going to keep, you know, doing acquisitions as a as a broader strategy for the company and growth? Or what does that look like? So that's a great question. I, and talking about strategy, it makes it feel like we've really thought this through. Uh, and, and, and you know, a lot of the acquisitions, uh, you know, generally speaking, we want to acquire someone. It's a good idea, but there's no real strategy because you look at what's available. I mean, what we did or, or what we've done at Napier is we've created a, a structure where actually a trust owns the um, the business. It's, an, it's a British thing and it works really well. It's got some tax advantages. So we can pay bonuses without income tax, which is nice for our employees wow. up to a certain level. So we've got this structure. So anyone who works for the company is then part of the trust. So individuals don't own shares, the trust own shares. And so it's a very collaborative situation. You know, the employees have to agree. And the answer is yes, in principle. We're still looking for acquisitions where it makes sense. In reality, one of the things, and obviously a shareholder, you know, if you, if you buy stock in Amazon, you know, you can't go to, to Jeff Bezos and tell him what to do tomorrow. It's like you have limited powers, but the um, employees have um, certain powers. And one of them is to approve or, or um, disprove an acquisition. So the employees can actually say no to an acquisition the management team wants to make. I think at this stage, there's probably not a huge appetite. I mean, as I say, we made an acquisition that just over a year ago. We seem to do it every maybe three or four years. So I think it's unlikely in the next couple of years. But if we see an area where we feel we need to develop, certainly acquisition is one way to go. I mean, the other thing as well is we're bigger now as an agency. So it's a really interesting thing when you're, you're sort of, you know, 16, 17 people. Actually, acquisitions are quite easy. And, and I think most people think it's really hard when you're small. But actually, it's really easy. I mean, finding the money is a challenge, but a lot of it is funded from profit. 
So you don't have to find nearly as much money as you think. And the more you can get those payments deferred, the less money you have to find up front. And it's very easy to, to integrate together because, you know, typically speaking, you're buying a fairly small business and they're coming in and you've got a lot in common because you're all so small. When you get to 40 people, actually, it's much easier to go, do you know what? I'm going to hire someone to get into that industry and I'm going to spend two years, three years doing that, losing money on that person. It feels a lot harder to do that when you're small. So actually for us, I, I think it feels like we can do more ourselves and we, we, we need acquisition less. I think also we've got a little more confident as we've grown, you know, and we've kind of finally forgotten the dot-com crash of, of you know, 2001, which, as I said, was, was traumatic and, and, you know, definitely made us make decisions that were overly cautious for, for many years afterwards. Well, you've just given such great advice so far. But if you had to give one last piece of advice or, you know, for marketing agency owners like myself who are listening and wanted to know like, hey, should I maybe head into acquisition for growth? What are some of the like top or key do's and don'ts you would say they need to pay attention to? Well, it's been a lot of pain, so don't do it is probably a good bit of advice. <laughs> um, I, I think that the most important bit of advice is to spend a lot of time. And that's time talking to the agencies you're interested in, but also time waiting for the right agency to come along. And as I say, you know, our first acquisition... We thought we were doing a terrible job by taking three years to persuade Peter to sell, sell his agency to us. Actually, it turned out it was a brilliant thing to do. You know, we went talking to him every day. It was, you know, every so often and, you know, keeping in contact and, you know, knowing he was getting, you know, getting into his 70s. We thought, you know, this is going to be the time. And, you know, he kept going. But, but actually, that long period of time made it much easier to ensure that we were a good fit. So I think take your time is the most important thing. If you get on one of these lists from one of these brokers that will send you lots of agencies don't feel you have to like pick one in 10 or one in 20 or even one in 100 you know make sure you get the right agency and don't be afraid to go back and go no it's not right and this is why it's not right this is what we're looking for and be clear about what you're looking for and even if that agency is a you know a unicorn of which there's four agencies in the world that fit that you know by the time you've got geography and size and market and things like that just keep going until you get what you believe is right and don't rush into it. Only fools rush in, right? That's that's how the saying goes. Ah, uh, well, I know I want to connect with you and ask a million more questions. So tell everybody who's watching or listening how they can connect with you, what you're working on, all of those good things. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned we sold the business to the employees. I'm still the CEO of the business, still planning to be around for a few years. So I'm working on a lot of client stuff as well as helping to grow and develop the business at Napier. So that that's absolutely my, my focus. But I love hearing from other agency owners. So if anybody wants to contact me, you know, obviously you can do the, the standard LinkedIn thing. You can go to the Napier website. Our website is napierb2b.com. And if anyone wants to email me, my email is mike at napierb2b.com, but you've probably worked that out anyway. Fantastic. Thank you so much for like really just being honest about what this process is like and what things we should consider as agency owners if we want to grow through acquisition or if we want to get acquired ourselves. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of your fantastic advice and everybody watching and listening. We will check you next time. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's been great fun, Brooke. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. 
I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.